Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. I'm Chanae Ogwumike. I'm Lisa Leslie, and we're very excited to tell you about our new podcast with Blue Wire, Front and Center. Lisa and I are breaking down what's going on in our lives, in the world, and keeping it 100. We're also learning from amazing guests as well, like Emmanuel Acho. People that show love to me, I forever got their back. Vivica A. Fox. If the foundation isn't right, then the rest of it's going to go wrong from there. And more. Subscribe to Front and Center today. Breaking news, Terry Rozier. He'll be the next starting point guard of the Charlotte Hornets. Step back, wide open, and it's good! Terry Rozier! All right, what's up and welcome to another Buzz Beat, your premier Charlotte Hornets podcast on the Blue Wire Network. This is Richie, and we are recording this on November 10th, just eight days away from the NBA draft. Uh, Before we hop into this episode, guys, I really appreciate uh, if you guys can take the 30 seconds out of your day to rate us on Apple Podcast. Uh, We're sitting at 98 reviews, and I think our personal goal of ours is try to get to 100 uh, before the draft. Uh, On today's episode, Spencer, Brian, and I will be joined by a bunch here, an eclectic bunch, to break down the Hornets and their options heading into the NBA draft. Our first guest of three, we've got T-Bone, and you can find him every day, uh, 6 to 10 a.m. on WFNZ. Travis, how's everything going with you? Hey, thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. You guys have been on our show before, so we're certainly glad to... uh, Help out Busby. Can you tell me, though, uh, what draft are we talking about? What month are we in right now? <laughs> we are talking about the 2020 draft and, yeah, the longest yeah, offseason ever. I have 2021 prospects oh, right now. Scrap so it, scrap it. Yeah, but I think you've actually been on our podcast before, way back when. I, I think we might have been, like, in the teens, Spencer. I, I cannot remember exactly what episode it was, but I feel like T-Bone was on our podcast at one point. You were, yeah. yeah. I can't remember exactly when it was earlier. I was thinking about that uh, earlier. Today. Oh, I know when it was. It was when Frank Kaminsky was on a tear, and he he was averaging like eighteen a game for like member like ten games or something like that. And then he then he hurt his shoulder like the day before I came on, and that was the end of Frank Kaminsky. Speaking of Frank Kaminsky, T Bone, I'll, I'll never forget the day I came on with you and Mac. The day after the Hornets drafted him, uh, by the time we were done with that segment, I was in tears and. My my blood pressure was very high. Let's just let's put. It. I uh, I once compared Frank Kaminsky to a poor man's Dirk Nowitzki. <laughs> I don't think I was ever that kind to him. So. No, I draw. I, I bought in. I bought in. I went against my own guy, Justice Winslow from Duke, and I bought in on Kaminsky. And I was, even during the Celtics whole trade fiasco, where the rumors mm-hmm. of the Hornets turned out all these picks, I said, you know what? That's a good thing for Frank Kaminsky because that's going to be our guy for a decade. So. Anyway, you guys are going to get my insight today, so that's that's good to put that out there. That I thought Frank is <laughs> Hall of Famer. Yeah, well, we've also got uh, Div, or better known as Stat Center on Twitter, as well as Owen Watterson. How are you guys doing today? Doing great, and glad to be here, man. Yeah, likewise. Thank you. Before we get in, though, I do want to share a connection that we have between uh, Div and uh, T Bone here. They're both former. Well, current slash former Is Knicks he my fans. brother or my father? Is that why I'm on here today? <laughs> yeah. This is a Maury Povich episode here. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. We're, somehow we're, we're going to be related by the end of this thing. So I know you've explained this before, Div, but go ahead and explain it to T-Bone. Why you switched from being a Knicks fan to a Hornets fan. Yeah, I was a Knicks fan for almost 20 years. Was there through the 90s glory days. And then by the early 2000s, it, was, it wasn't even the losing. It was just the thought of having James Dolan as an owner for the next 40 years. You know, you have a bad coach or a bad GM. They can be gone in five years, maybe sooner. You got a bad owner, they might outlive you. And uh, so finally I decided I just, I just couldn't put up with that. And so I uh, hitched a ride to a team owned by Michael Jordan. So big, big step up there. <laughs> so basically you got out of the next level of hell and I can't get out of it yet. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'll, I'll welcome you with open arms when you make it out, brother. Hey, I just root, hey man, I just root for everybody, so don't worry about it. I'll just add on teams. I'll probably be, by the time we're done here, I'll be rooting for the Pelicans or somebody probably. So. 
All right, so let's let's jump into this episode. We're going to treat this like a roundtable and just kind of throw out ideas and topics about this draft. Uh, so feel free to chime in whenever, uh, and we can kind of break off from these topics that we get into. Hopefully, we can touch upon all of these uh, before the end of the episode. But the first topic that I actually want to throw to you, Owen, first, um, what are your thoughts so far on Mitch Kupchak and, and his work with the Hornets, and how much faith do you have in him come Wednesday to make the right decision? Look, I, I, we were talking about it beforehand about the confusion at the top of this draft and really the draft in general, to be honest. I've never personally seen uh, so many smoke screens, so many different uh, mock drafts. You know, usually there's a relatively consensus one through three, one through five, or you know, shake up here and there. Uh, but especially the number one pick, there's usually a consensus, and it just has not been that way. Uh, but since Mitch has been in Charlotte, this is the first time in a long time, I think this is the best way to say this, that I have been confident in a Hornets front office to make the right decision. Um, Rick Show never really did that for me, and Michael Jordan is Michael Jordan not the greatest owner? You can say what you want about him, but since Mitch Kupchak has been here, he sat on virtually every pick. Uh, P.J. Washington, Miles Bridges, who you could argue he shouldn't have traded. SGA for Miles Bridges, that's a whole separate conversation in itself. Uh, picked up Caleb Martin and undrafted free agency. Cody, Jalen McDaniels in the second round of last year, uh, along with Devontae Graham in the second round the year before. So uh, I am more confident than I ever have been, but that also brings so much nervousness because can you really ever be confident? Right. Right. But I I think, I think a lot of points you brought up um, in terms of Rich Cho versus Mitch Kupchak. And uh, the one thing that the Hornets have failed to do or not been so great at, it has been the drafting aspect. But ever since Mitch Kupchak has come over here as GM, it feels like we've had a couple of solid drafts, first round and second round, and we have players on those, you know, from those draft on our roster today that are making impacts. Uh, what about you, Div, in terms of just Mitch Kupchak and what you see in him as a GM, and uh, how does he compare to maybe Rich Joe or just kind of your overall faith with him? Yeah, I, for the most part, I agree with Owen. Um, I mean, I think Devontae at what was it, 34, Cody Martin at 36, um, even PJ outside of the top 10, um, you know, all really solid picks. The thing I've liked the most about Kupchak, which I wasn't sure about before he came here, is he seems to be picking modern players. Um, you know, if you look at his track record, especially late with the Lakers, um, it, it was more old school. And that was, you know, many years ago. But um, his picks tended to be more conventional. But, I mean, PJ is kind of a four slash five, um, both Martins. Um, you know, and even Devonte, like you need lead creators who can get their own shot off and who can pull up from three. I think he's been a lot more modern in his drafting than I expected to. And that's been a really nice surprise. I would agree with that in terms of two-way players as well. You got players that can play on both ends of the court uh, for yeah. the part as well. And there's always been a debate, uh, T-Bone, in terms of drafting for need and drafting for fit. And I think a lot of these rumors that we're hearing with the Hornets to me, seems like it's based around fit. Like they're, they're going after these bigs like Wiseman and Onyeka Kongwu. They're both bigs. They're both centers. The, that fills a, a fit there for the Hornets. Uh, but what, do, what are your thoughts overall, T-Bone, on drafting for talent, especially in the situation with the Hornets right here, or drafting for fit where the Hornets do lack at the center position? I think you just got to try to find the best player available when you're the Hornets where you're at right now. Because what have we seen over the last uh, 15, 16 years since they've returned to the league is they can't make a lot of moves because they don't have a lot of pieces other teams want, right? How many times have there been trades where we're stuck with bodies forever because we can't move them? So even if you draft a player or acquire a player here in this time period, that may not fit you necessarily you can flip that somewhere else because teams may want that. We're starting to get some players now on the roster more than we had that you could kind of sell other teams on. We didn't have that. We couldn't sell Zeller and MKG and Kaminsky for anything of value. But now we've got some parts here like Miles Bridges. Uh, we have the 32nd pick this year. We've got Rozier. We've got some things here. So I think you just acquire another piece of talent here. And if it fits, that's fine. But you just got to keep getting talent and assets, and eventually you can flip that. And one thing on Cupcheck, too, for your, your previous question that's really important here, he seems to have, for the first time since he's been owner, Mitch Cupcheck seems to have the ear of Michael Jordan. There seems to be a trust there 
that Rich Cho and previous guys didn't have. Rod Higgins seemed to be a friend of Michael Jordan, but it seemed like Michael Jordan would just run over Rod, basically. Right now, it feels like Kupchak can kind of do what he wants to do and sell MJ on the vision. That also, I think, I want to add that very important for where the Hornets are right now. I think all you guys made great points about Kupchak. Um, you know, going back to what Div said, that, that certainly was the most surprising uh, thing to me about Kupchak's tra- track record so far in Charlotte. I mean, the last we heard from him, you know, in L.A., it was, I guess, really the summer of 2016 when he signed the Luau Dean contract and, um, and and the other, uh, the Mozgov contract. And so when Charlotte hired him, it was it was an easy you know, punchline for the league, like, oh, oh man, this is this is not going to work out. Of course, the Hornets are doing this, but I think you're right, T-Bone. I think that there is a different respect factor here. Uh, you know, when 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 Cupcheck's in the room with Jordan, and so I know we'll talk about this a little later, so I won't go deep into it now. But it's why I really can't buy the, you know, Charlotte, and it's really heating up. They're gonna they're gonna trade up to one. They're gonna you know give away all these assets to get a guy that nobody seems to believe in. Um, it just it didn't really add up, and Kupchak said almost everything to the contrary when asked the question leading up to this draft. Yeah, we're like where the league expects him to keep uh, zigging. You know, he's tended to zag, and, and Div brought up a great point about taking drafting what the front office thinks is the best prospect, but uh, fit is obviously a big part, not just from like a, a roster construction standpoint, but like how those guys fit into the way NBA basketball is played uh, nowadays. Uh, the, all of those, even uh, even Jalen McDaniels a season ago, you know, a 6'10 guy that can guard a bunch of different positions, has defensive event creation skills, uh, some 3 and D potential as well, like another guy that sort of fits that mold. But I think as far as Mitch Kupchak and the front office go, I think they've done a pretty good job over a little over two years and change now. Like he was handed a tough situation with – basically taking on Kemba after the 2018 trade deadline, you know, that was really tough. And I think if you want, we can go back and and hash back out, uh, you know, what happened with Kemba leaving and, and um, you know, just how all that went down. That wasn't necessarily great for a couple of different reasons, but ultimately like they've been able to start fresh and they're in, I think not a great, but an okay position at the moment. And it's because they've drafted well the last couple of years too. 2019 was a great draft for Charlotte, like full stop. Um, PJ outside the top 10, Cody Martin was one of the best rookie defenders in the league this season. Uh, Jalen McDaniels had a nice season in Greensboro and in a small sample size played pretty well in Charlotte too. So Heading into the draft this year, yeah, stuff with Wiseman makes you a little antsy, especially when you see some of the rumors about Charlotte perhaps giving up draft capital. Uh, Like Spencer, I don't totally buy that either. It just doesn't seem to make a lot of sense, nor does it fit with what what this team's draft strategy has been the last couple of years. Um, So, yeah, I, I think, you know, just going to the draft, you have these three picks, including a top three pick. You have an early second round pick. Trust your scouting, trust your personnel, go out and, and select some good players and some great team-friendly contracts. That's like the whole point of all of this. So, no, I, I feel a little uneasy, but but overall pretty good. They, they built up some equity in terms of drafting the last two years. Can I also point out that I think Kupchak kind of gets a bad rap for the end of the Lakers stuff? That's an impossible job with the end of Kobe Bryant because they're trying to – they're spending money all the time trying to keep their – they're run with Kobe alive, so he's got to spend money on players to try. They were trying to win titles and be an elite team all the time. They weren't ever building for the future. So they also weren't drafting very high a lot either for the most right. part. So I think this is a much better job for Kupchak to build something, to find talent, to spend money when he has to, hopefully. But with the Lakers, that's a tough job for anybody, having to spend all that money and try to find pieces to fit Kobe and appease Kobe. That, that was a tough job for anybody in that spot as a GM of the Lakers. It's a great point, and it, it's, sorry, Owen, real quick, and then jump in. It's a great point, T-Bone, because there's context to all this. We place these GMs and these coaches in the boxes, right, because of their one stop and what the context and the roster construction and the, and the owner's vision was at that one spot, and then that vibe just lives with them wherever they go. I think that Cupcheck's proved that wrong in Charlotte. Absolutely, it's a great point. And just to kind of touch on what Travis said a little bit too, considering where Mitch was handed the keys with Kimball Walker, you know, I don't want to say almost out the door, nobody really knew up until the summer uh, before contract negotiations and all, but since Kimba has left in the year that he's been gone, the Hornets are in a far, far better 
position than I think anyone around the league and even the fans could have anticipated them to be. And that really is thanks to Mitch Kupchak and, and how he's handled the team, like you said, with modern players, like Div said, uh, and trying to tool this team the right way for the future. They, they won a lot more games than a lot of people predicted. Uh, preseason, they were predicted to be one of the worst teams in the league, if not the worst right, next to Cleveland. Right. Um, so he, he's done a fantastic job, and I, I really am excited to see what he does in eight days. Yeah, I, I think it's important to also remember, just like, let's just say the Hornets had, I mean, all of this is hypothetical and it's it's water under the bridge. So it's, it's probably stupid perhaps to go through these thought exercises, but like, let's say the Hornets do extend Kemba for $200 million last summer. Um, you know, what they may have done at the trade deadline to, to perhaps build a, a, you know, microwave a playoff team around Kemba this past year, just before COVID and the shutdown and before the financial fallout that's coming ahead too. Like, it, I mean, again, it's impossible to know this stuff, obviously at the time when it's happening, but that reset does have Charlotte at least long-term um, in, an, in an okay position. And again, it just, it's, it's really easy to forget about some of these other, you know, pitfalls that they could have ended up in over the last 12 months. And also, to Mitch's credit, you know, at first he got ripped by a lot of people for not signing Kemba Walker. Myself that included. knee, that knee we, we don't know, man. It, it was not good for most of this season. So, no, I, exactly. I, mean, I hope Kemba's okay, but long-term we may look at it and say, you know what, that we it's best for the franchise that Kemba didn't get a Supermax contract. You could be wrong, I don't know, but there's some thoughts exactly. around the league that that knee, that knee's trouble for Kemba. Yeah. Uh, and, and really quickly, on your point, BG, I mean, I – Yes, you can't, you couldn't see COVID coming and all the financial crisis. And a lot of people said, you know, what are the Hornets doing with Kemba by not, you know, resigning him? Of course, they should have traded him if they weren't going to resign him. But, you know, now with these new numbers about uh, how the luxury tax is going to be handled over the next few years, you know, it, Charlotte is now uh, even in a better position as a dumping ground. Um, their salary cap space is probably now next summer the most valuable landing spot for a bad contract in the entire league. So that's, I think that's going to mean something. You re-sign Kimball Walker, obviously that's never a reality. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through December 31st. Football is back in full swing. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. All right, let's get into some of the prospects that have been mentioned with Charlotte. Obviously, we have Wiseman, Okongwu, we have Ball, we have Edwards that have been mentioned. Uh, I think the consensus top three has always been Edwards, Ball, and Wiseman in some kind of order. But let, let's focus on the bigs first here, Div. I feel like I know where you're going to go with this answer, but 
Brian mentioned Wiseman's name not too long ago, but one of the biggest needs for the Hornets is a big, and one of the biggest debates, uh, at least among Hornets community, I don't think on a national level per se, but Wiseman and Okongwu, for you, Div, what separates those two prospects and which one do you favor a little bit more? Yeah, so um, it's interesting. They're really different types of centers. Um, And I I actually think either one could work in a Hornets jersey. And I think you're going to build the defense differently based on which one of those you you bring in. Um, I prefer Okongwu. And the reason is um, he's a little bit smaller, which is not ideal. I've been telling people if Okongwu was two inches taller and had two inches more in wingspan, he'd be the number one pick in this draft. I think hands down. Um, but ultimately what it really comes down to is he's just proven to be a better basketball player so far than James Wiseman has. He's a much better rebounder, uh, much better overall defender. Uh, Wiseman can get up and down uh, to block shots, but doesn't move laterally nearly as well as Okongwu does, in my opinion. Um, and offensively, Okongwu just uh, stays within himself. Um, you know, I think one of the biggest criticisms of Wiseman on offense is the number of mid-range shots he takes. And, and this was a, the case back in AAU as well and, and in high school. Um, his stats were never all that great in terms of shooting efficiency because he was taking a lot of shots that a seven-foot-one dude shouldn't be taking at that level of competition. Um, the other thing with the Congo is he's an amazingly quick leaper. So if you're going to be 6'9", that's a good way to counteract that a little bit. Uh, I think he's going to be able to, to do some things in terms of really being a strong rim protector. Um, I ran a little stats analysis uh, based on efficiency and defense and rebounding. And and I looked at kind of college freshmen over the past 10 years in big conferences. And the two closest comps to Okongwu were DeAndre Ayton, who just went number one two years ago. So that's a pretty solid comp. And the second one was some guy named Cody Zeller. Uh, So now obviously he's a little bit smaller than both of those guys, but not dramatically smaller. And in terms of impact right away as a freshman, he was up there with almost anybody. Um, so I, I really like Okongwu. It's not the sexiest pick. I'm not sure how much upside there is with him, but I think his chances of being a solid starter are higher than just about anybody in this draft. What about you, T-Bone? I think you favor Okongwu as well, don't you? I absolutely love everything you said about Okongwu. When the, when the shutdown happened, I went into like draft prospect mode because there was no sports on. So I started watching every dude I can on YouTube and just started reading about guys. So I started to figure out like who, cause I don't know. I, I watch college basketball. Like, like y'all do I, some of these guys, it's hard to the shutdown happened and these guys aren't there for very long. So the guys I even knew, I sort of watched some of their stuff. And the first guy I saw in April where I said, that dude has it. I went on the air on the Mac attack and said, this Okongwu guy is the real deal. So that was what, seven, eight months ago. It's only his, his hype's only grown. I watched him the other day again offensively on some tapes for like 20, 30 minutes. And we know about the defense and running the floor and energy and all that sort of stuff. He's got some stuff on offense that you can see it developing into more. He's got good feet in the paint. He's got good touch lefty and righty at times, which is crazy. Uh, He catches the ball in traffic with ease. He goes up and gets it on lobs. He's a good free throw shooter. So I'm not saying he's there yet. But there are elements there on offense where you say, yeah, this guy's not going to be a Bismack Biombo type offensive player. This guy, and I know that the comparisons are there for Bam in, in terms of the size and what he can do, not the ball handling offense yet. But here's where I think he favors Bam a little bit. If you read about Bam, Bam works really, really, really hard. Like that's how he got to become this NBA star for the Heat. That dude puts in work and work and work. It's not natural when he came into the league for that, but he's earned, he's learned that Bam is a worker. Wiseman, what's the knock on him? He's got talent, but th- that's the question. Even in the SI article right now that Chris Mannix did, it's all about, it's, it's with James Wiseman talking, but it's all about, hey, do you want this? How bad do you want it? If you're questioning how bad a guy wants it, that to me, and a guy like Bam is going to go earn what he has, I'm sorry, I'm going to leave Bam in terms of the guy that's going to get better in the pros. Yeah, I've heard Wiseman skips leg day, right, Brian? God, some of those photos, like, they're they're a little incriminating, are they not? He's on the, the Jalen Smith workout regime. Um, and I feel like when you're uh, – if you're being compared to a guy that's nicknamed uh, Sticks, 
then maybe you need to, then maybe perhaps you should change uh, the workout routine a little bit. I mean, he looks pretty built and chiseled up top. Right. But yeah, his legs are, are o- skinny. Okongwu is a grown man already at 19. The other thing, mm-hmm. too, about him, I was watching the other day, uh, highlights, I think they were playing uh, Utah uh, in the Pac-12. And, you know, the, they have that uh, – they have another big man at uh, USC. I forget how to say his name. He's a foreigner, the, the big white seven footer. They were running the two. Yeah. They were playing a two man game together. Like he was passing mm-hmm. the ball, giving and going. So with PJ, there's something there where he plays well off another big. So mm-hmm. I don't know. There's very little. There's very little downside to what Okongwu can be. It's yeah. just a matter of how high is the ceiling for him. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think Okongwu, I think Tyrese Halliburton is gets the most love and, like, safest pick in the draft. I actually think it's Okongwu. I mean, you know, th- this could be a, you know, a, this high at three. You know, maybe this is a philosophical thing where you're just like, I'm just not taking a center that high. And that, that's fine. I actually think I would probably fall into that bucket. But I think Okongwu has almost no chance of failing in the league. And, and the fact that he's 6'9", really doesn't bother me because he's young, very young. There's still a chance that he grows a little bit. His body is already very mature. Um, You know, to the point Div made, he's a great leaper. He's such a good athlete. And I made this point on the last pod. We really don't know what he can do offensively. I mean, that USC system was uh, (laughs) a a constant traffic jam. And so he played in very little space. There was very little creativity about what they did. Um, I I think that – I think there's a chance that we see – I don't like the BAM comparison just because I think it's so, so tough. Uh, and it's also convenient because BAM just had such a great year out of nowhere. But it's it's hard not to see the similarities in their athleticism and, and their body types. Um, so I think Okongwu, to me, really is the safest pick in the draft. And I would absolutely lean him over Wiseman. I don't, I don't think it's really that close, frankly. Owen, go ahead and chime in here. What, what are your thoughts on Wiseman well, it, and Okongwu? It looks like we're going Okongwu all the way across the board. Um, I didn't expect it to be that way, to be honest. But And I, I don't want to sit here and bash James Wiseman because, quite honestly, that's all I've done on Twitter for the past couple months is bash James Wiseman. Um, but I, I'm going to give him some love because – the idea of a, a pick and pick and roll game with Devontae Graham and James Wiseman or you know, Terry Rozier and Devontae Graham both handling the ball, the rim runs, uh, it, it really gets me excited. But that's the issue with Wiseman. That's one of the few things that does get me excited. Okongwu, like you guys all said, I agree with everything you guys said. The defensive ability is it I don't even think Wiseman could touch to be honest he he blocks shots really well but that's because of his height um and I also think Wiseman is going to get himself into some trouble in the league because blocking shots is his biggest asset on defense I think it's going to get him in some foul trouble Okongwu was really really good at keeping his fouls under wraps I think he averaged 2.7 fouls a game at USC which is really really good uh, for the caliber of defender that he is um and, and again on the offensive end for Okongwu the ability to dive to the rim is I haven't seen very many bigs with that ability like he has in a long time. Uh, the ability to read the defense off of a screen, uh, the ability to move off the ball on offense. So Kongwu really just kind of gets me salivating a little bit. And I know he does for some of y'all too. Um, Wiseman just scares me too much, honestly. And, and I've seen a lot of a lot of stuff about the Hornets. I saw a package actually 30 minutes before uh, we got to on to record this that the Hornets were thinking about offering Bridges 32 and three just to move up to number one for Wiseman, which is absolutely worst case scenario. If you ask me, that would make the night. I wouldn't even want to watch the rest of the draft if that happened. Yeah. <laughs> to be honest with you, I would not trade up for any player in this draft. Like even no, if I mean, no, even no. if Wiseman yeah. was my I'm, top guy, I would not you. trade up for anyone. Because here's the problem, Handles, Randall. Yep. Uh, if, is, is everyone trying to move up or just us? I know Detroit's been rumored, <laughs> but like no one, like if we're if you're the only team moving up in the draft or rumored to move up, what's that say? No yeah. one else. Everyone's like, "Hey, look at the Hornets moving up." Like that tells you all you need to know. Just stay where you're at. That don't, you don't need to. Stop. You can move back a couple for Okongwu, maybe. Yeah. Maybe move back a spot or two. Yeah. But yeah, this is the draft, too, guys. Where I heard Kevin O'Connor from the Ringer talking about this. Uh, if you like someone, just take them. Don't worry yeah. about backlash and all. Like if it's Denny Avia, you like somewhere in the top. Whatever. If you like a player in this particular draft in a pandemic year, just take your guy. Don't worry about backlash or, oh, we can't take this guy. Just take your player that you want. Stop with the just, – just Fortunately, I think that's the mentality Mitch Kupchak has had since he's been in Charlotte. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah I agree. And and to this like trade up thing, real quick, I think that <clears throat> if the Hornets, let's just pretend for the th- you know for the sake of, of sanity here and not thinking about them just trading up because that's what everybody in the league just wants to float this rumor. Let's say they really do want Wiseman, and and most do believe he's going one or two. So they have to trade up to get him. If they have to trade up and the cost is the third pick in Miles Bridges, that's not, and you really, really, really like Wiseman, you trust your draft prospect resources, yeah. you know, you scouted this guy, you, you know his background, you just know he's a can't miss. I'm okay with that price if that's the conclusion you come to. But when it's – and you really think he's the dude. I don't think he is, but if you do, if the Hornets do, then whatever. If they throw in a, a future – any future year first-round pick, whether it's protected or not, I think it's – I think it, that's when I immediately walk away and the conversation is over. Yeah. Yeah, I was just about to say, like, the only trade-up scenario I would be willing to entertain would be Bridges – no draft capital to move up and take, you know, like LaMelo. Like that's the one, that's the one thing that I would actually be here for. Um, I mean, you guys said it all already with regards to Kongwu and Wiseman, uh, you know, Wiseman has the superior reach and athletically, uh, you know, maybe that may, gives him a higher ceiling, but just, I, I don't like his pick and roll defense. His positioning is really, really bad. He exposes himself to all kinds of uh, driving angles and is he just easily exploited by, by ball handlers. Um, very athletic in the open court, but I think he looks a little heavy and choppy even outside of taking, uh, taking bad position when it comes to guarding pick and roll. Um, and with a Kongu, just so versatile and reactive defensively communicate. You can see him call out actions off, off the basketball, um, has really good feet, can play drop coverage. So at his size, you know, you probably want him to do a variety of different coverages and he can do that, including like he, he can switch out and go and match up with some guards too. Um, why is like a Kong was passing isn't there and maybe it never gets there, but he's a, he's a much better passer than James Wiseman is at this point. I actually watched the USC UCLA game uh, from March last night and a Kong had a really nice game passing out of the post and passing out of the, the short roll, making plays out of the short roll. So that, I think that's super encouraging and just, I, I like his post game more than Wiseman. So I think has trouble getting position, holding position, catching the ball while going up against a, you know, another bruiser in the post and a Congo has great footwork, uh, can spin out. And to Spencer's point too, like he was playing in an offense at all times with another seven footer on the court with him, whether it be uh, Mobley or uh, um, Nick Reykjavik. And so this would be the first time where he'd be able to play in an open court with PJ as the spread four next to him. And, you know, a really good passer and decision maker with Devonte Graham at the point guard, like things just didn't come easy to him last year at SC unless he got out in transition or got on the offensive glass. Like that's what actually produced the, the open and high, the efficient looks, including, I guess, also some, some pick and roll stuff as well. Here, here would be the nightmare scenario that we've seen play off with the Hornets forever and the Bobcats. You better make sure if you're going to either trade up for Wiseman or you're enamored with Wiseman, you better make sure that Okongwu doesn't have some offensive game that we don't know about yet, right? Because I, I could see it happening where we either trade up for Wiseman or take Wiseman, and then the first game of the year, uh, we look at the box score, and Okongwu goes four for five from three. And we're like, oh, oh, he can shoot. Oh, he can run the – oh. That, that to me, is the nightmare. Passing on Okongwu and finding out that he's got some offensive game that's untapped yet, that, to me, is like the, the ultimate Hornets move, right? That this yeah. guy that, hey, can he play offense? Oh, yeah. The first week of the year, people are like, oh, my God, this guy's great. And we're like, oh, yeah, we didn't get him. That's the tricky part about this offseason and scouting uh, NBA players or potential NBA players. It's not been the same with COVID. So you you haven't been able to get these guys in on a consistent basis uh, and see how they can perform outside of their offense within their college scheme. So I do want to mention LaMelo Ball because Brian did mention him a second ago about maybe trading up for him. I mentioned I wouldn't trade up for anyone in this draft. Uh, transitioning to Lamella Ball, who's also a very polarizing player, like Wiseman, a scenario that I would not like, and I know Brian is in a different boat than I am, is if Wiseman and Edwards are off the board, where it seems like those are the top two players on the Hornets draft board based off of rumors. Uh, again, we're, we're all in agreement here that Wiseman is not on the top of our boards, but let's say Lamella Ball is there available at three, to me personally, I would take Ball, but I would also take him in uh, the thought that I would want to trade him. 
That's just my personal view. I don't think he fits on this roster. I'm a little bit uncomfortable with him just as a prospect in terms of just the mental aspect. I think physically, you know, he's got the passing IQ. Obviously, the shot needs a lot of work. But, you know, a 6'7 point guard is something that's hard to come by in the NBA. But a lot of a lot of people view this guy as someone that's going to be the top overall pick, and a lot of people view this guy as someone that's going to fall, you know, to three or four in this draft. Div, what, what are your overall thoughts on LaMelo, and how comfortable would you be drafting him at number three? Um, if LaMelo is available three, I would be thrilled because he's number one on my board, and I would be terrified because he's LaMelo Ball. Uh, I mean... <laughs> Like, you know, everybody talks about the passing and, and like, you know, you could take somebody who's never watched basketball before, show them a normal game with normal passers and then show them LaMelo ball and they'll quickly be like, oh yeah, that guy's special, right? Anybody can sort of see that. I think on top of that, you've got elite ball handling um, and he's much more shifty than Lonzo is. Uh, You know, I think that's where that comparison really falls short is that Lonzo really can't break down a defense himself in the half court. And, and I think LaMelo can. And so, it, it, you know, having a little bit more height than his brother, more shiftiness and, and just as good or even better ball handling, I'm confident in his ability to initiate offense for himself and others. I, I absolutely believe he can do that. Um, I am unsure about just about everything else. So, you know, the, if you think of that as like the single most important skill in the NBA right now, I really believe he can do that, and that's why I've got him number one on my board. He may end up being a mediocre or even a little worse than mediocre shooter. He may end up – I think he'll actually end up being average on defense because six, seven guys who have good instincts usually do. Um, but it's possible he ends up being a lot worse than average. Um, and he also just he, – he comes across as kind of a goofy – a little bit of a lackadaisical guy on the court. Um, you know, there, there are times where he's looking at his teammates, asking them which play is being run. And I know that he came from a really unconventional background, never really played in any sort of defensive system until he went to Australia. Um, so he's learning a lot of this on the fly. And you can look at that as a positive, which I, I somewhat do, that, you know, he picked up quite a bit just in his one year there. His teammates said he was a really good teammate as the year went along. Um but there's definitely a risk that he comes in. He's just not ready to be a professional NBA player, much less a point guard and the offensive leader of a team. So I'm, I'm really scared about him, but if he's available, I really hope the Hornets go for him because of that kind of crazy upside. It's interesting because I know that Brian is higher on ball than Spencer and I. It seems like you're higher on ball, obviously, than I am. Owen and T-Bone, I want to hear your thoughts on LaMelo. Oh, this Brian, I'm sorry, man, but uh, LaMelo Div, you too. LaMelo is not even in my top three. I like Killian Hayes a lot more than I like LaMelo. I'd even say that Tyrese Halliburton, I don't like him as much as LaMelo, but I like Tyrese Halliburton a lot. Um, LaMelo is a very, very scary pick. A lot like Wiseman, Mm -hmm. I love the size that he has, the passing ability. You can't can't even question it at this point, especially running the floor. And that would be really exciting to see with this young Hornets team. But once you get past that, again, like Dib said, you get down to the ability to play defense, even move off the ball offensively. There's just a lot of questions. Um, The shot, I don't trust at all. I think it's going to have to change if it's going to be any kind of successful in the NBA. Uh, LaMelo, to me, is there are too many questions to just take him in the top three, honestly. To me, he's got probably the highest ceiling talent-wise because of the defined skill of being in the open court, passing the basketball, size for a point guard. So there are attributes there, attributes there where you say, yeah, this guy could be the best player in this draft. He could also be the biggest bust in this draft also because of not reaching his potential. My question is this. I'm, I, got, I could be wrong, but the, the lack of shooting, lack of defense combination worries me. End of games. If he doesn't pick up, a lot in, in both sides there. If he can't be a guy you have to defend on one end of the court and he can't be a guy on the other end of the court to defend, how long is it going to take him to get up to the point he can play at the end of games? I, look, it could be a year or two years. I don't know. But the shooting-defense combination is something that kind of scares me. There are right spots for him. Like I think it was uh, 
was that Ryan Rosillo was talking about the, the Warriors in ball and how in the open court he finds those shooters in the corners, Thompson and Curry, and he can play that way. But if you're putting him on a young team, I just I, – I don't, I don't know. I just I'm – not, I'm not a big ball guy. Then there's the LeVar factor, whether or not we believe it's true, and that's a factor. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. And if it doesn't, if it doesn't go well, that's going to get LeVar cooking, right? So, <laughs> to defend his son, it's not something that's a huge deal. But there's just – there's so much there. Uh, and, and to me, the, the, the cons outweigh the pros when it comes to a mellow ball. I think that with LaMelo, I mean, I think everyone said it. I mean, you know, his passing ability, you know, did did a great job of, you know, talking about how the comparison with him and his brother are not great ones because LaMelo can break down a defense. You know, that that is pretty simple to see as well. I think when I, – and I just think about it mostly from the lens through the Charlotte lens. This is not a guy, personally, that I am going to hand the keys to the franchise to. I'm just not going to – like, I, I just I, – I can't get on board with that. Um, and a lot of it does have to do with his background. I'm sorry. I know a lot of people think it's crazy to, to hold that against him. But I I cannot uh, – with a good conscience. And that's what it's going to be in Charlotte. That's why the Golden State fit is – it's a unique one to me because I think they can bring him along. I think they have – the ability to, to turn around and trade him quickly. Charlotte wouldn't have that. You know, they would bring LaMelo in. They don't have talent on this roster, not talent significant enough to bring him along slowly. And there's just the risk variance for a team like Charlotte drafting LaMelo ball is greater, a lot greater than I think most other teams in the top 10. Um, so I, I think this year's too, we're, we're looking for a number one ranked player. Everyone's had trouble doing it. And Lamelo has just kind of fallen into this hoop of well, he's got the greatest skill, so he's the number one ranked player. I think he's talented. Um, I, I get really nervous and would probably not not spend a top three pick. Is this team too young for a Lamelo Ball? Are enough veterans there to for him to lean on for this roster? I, I just I just think it's the wrong place for him. I do. I, I think that he's going to need to be brought. He can totally be successful in the NBA, and he could be an All Star one day. The talent's there. I agree with you guys. But I think Charlotte's the wrong place to do that right now. I don't think they have the leadership. I don't think they have the infrastructure in a lot of different ways. I think we're getting there. I think they've taken a lot of positive steps. But when you get a top three pick and and look, Anthony Edwards, they're the same kind of concerns. I think the difference there is you're not handing the keys to him. Mm-hmm. You can bring him along a little bit more slowly. I think you can find ways to incorporate him with LaMelo. You got to give him the basketball. And that is what makes me the, the most nervous with this fit. Uh, I also don't think he's going to be there at three and I don't think Charlotte will trade up. So this is probably not going to be an issue. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think some of this is will end up being a moot point. Cause I, I think he's going to go number one, uh, you know, depending on whom, whichever team takes him. Uh, yeah. I mean, you guys said it with LaMelo. I love the, the passing. I love the handle. I love what he does for you in transition and, and, and what he can really do to up your, your pick and roll punch uh, in the half court and just give, give, create easy shots um, and create highlights for everyone. Um, of course there's a risk factor and eventually the shots got to find, you know, he's got to get to the mid thirties on pull up threes, but I think he can get there assuming the mechanics, um, tighten up and, uh, he gets a little more consistent in that. And then just all, everything that opens up off of that, once the pull up three comes along and you factor in, uh, his ability to run a pick and roll, crack a defense and, and create an open shot for someone. And Div, you were the first to bring this up. And I think everyone went around the horn and agreed too. like that. That's why the comparisons with Lonzo are they're They're not great. Lonzo is a turnover machine out of the pick and roll this season. I think Lamelo is a guy that can come in and because of his efficiency in the pick and roll is a guy that's going to raise the floor of your offense real, real quickly. And then if you get to some of the outer limits of his projection, well, then maybe you do in fact have a special player and someone that has all-star potential as Spencer mentioned a second ago too. All right. I want to hear just from the guest here, Anthony Edwards, uh, to me of all the prospects has the biggest combination of filling a need, the upside and just the overall talent in this top three. And that, that is the prospect that I would, prefer to fall at three and I would take him no question asked having said that I feel like I still kind of overlook his shot selection his focus sometimes and just overall consistency I don't know why I do that with him versus LaMelo it's a little bit of a double standard there but we'll start with Div and then go to Owen and then finish up with uh, Travis here Uh, Div Anthony Edwards thoughts on him and do you think he'll put it all together on the NBA level 
Yeah, so I, I mean, I think the, the pros with uh, Edwards really start from two things, which is number one, he is a monster explosive athlete. I, I mean, some of the stuff that he does, um, it, and not even in the open court, um, but, but even in the half court, he just gets by guys, elevates over them, goes through them. Um, really, really impressive stuff. And then I think that's combined with really amazing body control. Um, some of the layups that he had this year, it didn't look like there was a lane at all uh, for him to get there. And he weaves through two guys, sidesteps one guy, and ends up with a really easy shot. Um, so I think that's really, really impressive. And he showed some pull-up uh, pull shooting uh, possibilities as well. So if you combine those two things, or those three things, I mean, worst case scenario, what is that? An 18 point a game score, right? Uh, like there, there's pretty much nobody who has that kind of package who doesn't end up being able to score at the NBA level, assuming that they can stay on the floor. And I think with his body, he'll be able to. I, I will say that like outside of that, his mentality about everything is really concerning. Um, you, you know, you mentioned this uh, shot selection, Richie. I absolutely agree with that. And, you know, people say he was a UGA. He didn't have great teammates and so on. He also took a lot of shots when he absolutely didn't need to. Um, you know, 17 seconds left on the clock, teammate open on the other wing and, and just chucked it. Um, and then defensively, uh, I think John Hollinger mentioned this before, and I, I had the same impression. I've never seen a guard who is so often the last guy crossing half court on defense. <laughs> like, he's the 10th man getting back. Uh, you know, it, he's just I, – I, and I know he had a big offensive burden, but he's going to have a big offensive burden – in the NBA as well. And, um, you know, the tools are there for him to be not just an average, but a, a good defense player. And he occasionally showed it. Um, but I, every time I watched him, I just couldn't believe how many possessions there were where he was just invisible. Um, you know, just wasn't, uh, being productive at all in an offensive or defensive scheme. So if he's there at three, um, I, I prefer Tillian Hayes, but I can totally understand Edwards. He's number four on my board. I wouldn't begrudge it, and, and he comes with a world of talent, but the the mentality he's shown so far really kind of scares me. Yeah, I agree with a lot of what Div said, too. My thing with Edwards, um, the athleticism, they are – so Edwards stands 6'5", 225, with a 6'9", wingspan, right? There are 217 players in the NBA – who are 6'5 uh, or shorter, and only seven weighed more than 225 pounds, right? He has a very rare frame that is just like he did in college going to allow him to get to the rim with absolute ease. Uh, the jump shot selection, I think, is going to get a lot better once he has an NBA coach and NBA teammates. Um, the Georgia teammates he had, most of them were freshmen, didn't have a lot of experience. I know Div said the argument about, uh, about his teammates at Georgia and things like that, but it was a second-year coach. There were a lot of of other things surrounding Georgia that I think could answer some of those questions. Um, if you're looking at a shooting, I think a really good telltale sign of him, you know, at least having the potential to be a good, if not average three point shooter in the league is that he shot 77% from the line. Uh, you look at a lot of those guys that went top three, top five, like Markel Fultz, Lonzo ball, who shot really well from three in college, but they shot really, really poorly from the free throw line. And that ended up translating uh, to, you know, roughly the same kind of success from the three point line in the league. So uh, Edwards has the tools, the motor defensively is, is a problem for sure. Crossing half court last when you're your team's best player, it's just not good and it's really unacceptable. But I think a lot of that will change once he gets into an NBA system uh, for sure. But defensively, he's got to get a lot better because there are a lot of two guards in this league that are going to take him straight to the rim uh, off the dribble if he doesn't improve. Well, he idolizes Dwayne Wade, and you can see that in some highlights and some plays where you're like, wow, you, you see some, you see some, you know, poor man's Dwayne Wade in some highlights. And then the next one of the reasons he, he went to Georgia is Dwayne Wade's former college coach is there in Georgia. Yeah, exactly. So that's why he's there. So you see Dwayne Wade, then you'd see the next play and you see Andrew Wiggins and you get terrified. And then there, it's all over the place. He also encapsulates this whole process of 2020 because on Friday I heard and I read that he matured that the workouts were great. The teams were saying, oh, my goodness, Anthony Edwards is getting it now. Heard yesterday that the workouts didn't go well. So I, I have no idea. Smokescreen season's on. I, have no, I couldn't tell you if he had a good workout or not now. I have no idea. There's another, there's another uh, subtle thing here that hasn't been talked about a lot lately, and it came out uh, right when the lottery was selection went on. 
Jeff Goodman on his podcast was talking about this. And I did some research on it. There were some league concerns about where he comes from, about the background of Edwards being from a really, really rough part of Atlanta. And there were some league people that thought he's got to get far away from where he came from. So I know that we're three hours away from Atlanta, four hours away, but there was some things being said around the league a couple months ago about yeah. Anthony Edwards and some concerns about his background. I'm not saying for sure that's a problem, but it's certainly something I'm sure that these GMs and teams are looking at with Edwards. And, you know, is there, is there any concerns there with, with where he comes from and that ever being an issue for him? Well, I think, you know, going back to what I was saying a minute ago about LaMelo and Edwards, just kind of sharing the same kind of like motor. Are they going to buy in? Are they going to make the guys around them better? Are they going to do, are they going to make winning plays? Mentally, can they get there to do that consistently? And it's funny because they share that together, that concern, but the way they got here is way, way different. You know, Edwards was raised by his, by his siblings, basically. Um, I mean, he, he comes from a, a, a terrible situation, uh, you know, for the lack of better ways to put it, from everything I've – all the research I've done, the guy was sold around um, from basketball situation to basketball situation to this point. He's never had structure in his life, ever. And neither really has LaMelo. But, again, the way that has manifested is much different. So now how does that play out for these two guys when you get to the NBA? I don't know, but I, but I do think there's something to be said. No, and I think you were starting to get to this – I think I don't I don't listen to Anthony Edwards interviews and hear a kid that's disinterested or a kid that thinks he's got all the answers. I think that I hear a guy who's begging for some structure. And if you place him in the right situation, I do still think you can breach him. That's conjecture. There's no I don't have any data points to share to say why I think that. But but I do think that this is a guy that can be reached. And if he can be reached, everything else is already there. Yeah, Spencer, Spencer, you described him a couple months ago as he's hungry in the right way. And I think that's a good way to, to, to sort of put it. And then the guy that you can say, well, we're going to sink a number three pick into or top five pick into or the number one pick into or whatever. Uh, you can at least sort of bank on the there's going to be a, a thirst and a work ethic there to, to get better um, and become a better player. I, I like Anthony Edwards. I think he's a great prospect. I've had him at three on my board for a while behind LaMelo and Killian Hayes. Um you know, where does he land as Aider? I think it's sort of inter- I think it's sort of interesting. Um, you know, can he make his teammates better? I think Edwards has the ability, obviously, with his frame, with his ability to finish through contact in his body control, which Div brought up. Like, I mean, he finishes through guys at the rim like they're not even there. Um, and has the ability to just either finish over the top of them or just hang in the air and uh, you know, finish with touch of the hoop. It, it's pretty pretty special. And I don't think there was anyone in, in college hoops that was quite like that this past season, but you know, can he, can he be a guy that can, you can just throw the ball to at some point and say, go run a pick and roll and we're going to get a good shot out of this no matter what. I mean, maybe not, but um, I think he does have some passing chops and I love the athleticism plus his, uh, his ability to drive it and get to the rim. And I think he has the potential in him to be a guy that can be a pretty good pull up three point shooter. We saw some step back game this season at UGA and I, my, as opposed to the concerns with the town around him at Georgia, it, it wasn't so much the teammates that, that I thought were a hit on him as much as where UGA put him in positions offensively. I think there are ways with a more dynamic coaching staff um, where you can make the game more simple for this guy. Which is something we talked about on the pod last week, actually, and there's stuff Charlotte does already that you can just take Anthony Edwards and place him in. You could see him perhaps finding an easier path to success because of that. And then, you know, everything else opens up after that. So um, I think that is something interesting uh, with, with Edwards and Charlotte as a possible uh, destination. One last thing I want to say about Edwards too before before we get moving on. Edwards, I think uh, I think he fits really well. I'd love to see Devontae Graham play right beside Anthony Edwards. There's DHO from the corner. Imagine switching Malik Monk with Anthony Edwards for that backdoor cut for a lob. My goodness, it'd be fun to watch. But Edwards, I think, fits in great with this team mentality and system, really, that Borrego has created in Charlotte. I, I haven't seen a group of Hornets players so well connected that like each other, that hang out very consistently work out together um I, I think edwards the structure that charlotte has laid in place as you know we play for each other i think it fits what he needs very very well 
And to Spencer's point about his upbringing and just being in a, in a structured system here, I made this point on the last episode. I'd be very interested to see how Borrego pairs with Anthony Edwards in terms of getting him in, you know, as a player development coach and, and working him into the system. We'll do one rapid fire question here before you guys go. I know you guys got to get on with your lives here, but uh, let's make one Hornets related prediction for draft night, whether that's trade related or maybe a specific player landing on the this roster come November 18th. Uh, Travis, go ahead and make one prediction for draft. Uh, they're pro- they, my prediction is they probably pass on a really good player because they seem to do that every single year. So there'll be some, whoever goes four, five, six, seven, 17, 18, we're going to look back in two years and say, ah, oh, could have had that guy. Because guess what? There's about 25 of those guys historically, right? <laughs> so we'll pass on somebody. We might get a good player, but oh, we're going to miss on an all-star, aren't we? <laughs> All right, Div, go ahead with your prediction. All right, so right now we've got uh, two second-round picks. My prediction is we end up making zero second-round picks. I think we're going to package the two of them together, get to late in the first round. Uh, I think for a smaller market team like Charlotte, I'd rather get the first-round guy late in the first round and and get them for an extra year, have team control a little bit more, uh, more predictability. So, uh, yeah, I think they're going to package them together and get up into the mid-20s. Spencer, go ahead with your uh, Hornets-related prediction. To go when I was thinking about something similar, Dev, I, I'm going to say that um, the Hornets trade down. I'm going to say that they find a partner to trade down with, and all of this that we're talking about and have been reading the last few weeks is smoke, and they end up drafting either Killian Hayes or Yeka Kongwu. Oh, interesting. All right, Brian, go ahead with your uh, prediction. All right. Um, hmm. I'll go simple here. Uh, Tyler Bay at pick 32, assuming Charlotte keeps the pick. Not my, not the guy that I would want to go with there, depending on who all is around, but um, I don't know. I, I just, I, I, I like the thought of Bay, Bay as like a McDaniels type defender. Yeah. Um, and you get him on a cheap second round deal. Um, I think makes, makes a little bit of sense. So I'll say that I got, I like guys like Isaiah Joe and Killian Tilly uh, ahead of them there. But um yeah, I like Tyler Bay as a prospect, too. All right, Owen, finish it off with our prediction here. Well, since Div stole mine virtually word for word, um, I think I'm just going to use it and just be a little more specific. I think the Hornets trade back into the late first round to take Vernon Carey because they don't take a big in the uh, in the beginning of the draft with three or whatever they decide to do. Vernon Carey lost almost 30 pounds, shown potential now apparently in workouts to hit from beyond the arc. Uh, I think he could fit really well into this system, um, really versatile, especially if he's lost a lot of weight. So that's my prediction. Thanks a lot, Div. Yeah. I read a mock draft today that had Vernon Carey going 54 today. Yeah, I wouldn't have him. I mean, I've got Carey somewhere like in the like the early to mid 40s. I mean, I, I covered Vernon at Duke. He's a really he's a really great player this year. But um, I don't even know. We'll see, I'll be here to see what the weight loss does for him um, because he probably lost some of his power without that. So I hopefully it makes him more mobile defensively and he's able to get up and down the court and just has like better mobility and stamina. But um, yeah, he still has a ways to go as a, as a, you know, as a pick and roll defender and he just lost some of his power in the post and on the glass. So um, I'll be, okay, I'll be alone on the Vernon Carey hype train. No, it's all good. I actually, I mean, I like, I like Vernon he's Carey. Rare, he's a rare Duke player that you could really make a case really probably should have came back again. He really could have worked his stock back up into a, at least for sure, first rounder, I would get. Yeah, that dude's good. The fact that he's in the 50s is shocking to me. I know he doesn't yeah. have good lateral movement. As a Duke fan, uh, I'm kind of shocked that I see him in the 50s, where I'm yeah. like, that's a steal for someone. Put him in the G League, let him work. Uh, that's a steal if you get him in the 50s. Yeah, Carey's a little more explosive than I think he gets credit for, even when he was at, at Duke last season. And he showed a little bit, a little ability to stretch uh, and, and uh, pick and pop or spot up a little bit at Duke. Not a lot, but a little bit. But, yeah, I mean, if the Hornets traded back into the first round and they were still hunting for a center, like Killian Tilly or Xavier Tillman are, like, phenomenal options. And and I would take both of them ahead of Vernon Gary Jr., even though I I do like VCJ a good bit. Pretty good little post-passer, too, actually, uh, last season at Duke. 
All right, I'll go ahead and make my prediction for draft night. I'm going to go the opposite of Owen and Div. I, I think that, well, I guess just in relation to the third pick, I guess I'm not. they're going to stay put at number three, and they will end up with Anthony Edwards. Uh, he's going to be in a Hornets uniform come November 18th. So uh, that is my prediction. We wanted to thank T-Bone, Div, and Owen for joining us today on our roundtable episode, and we will see you guys next time. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems. But getting therapy has its own problems, too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and, of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.